Hello, welcome back. Welcome into Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, going to talk preseason football at West Virginia. The Mountaineers start on August 7th. We're going to discuss strengths and weaknesses today. The strength of the weakness that I provide, Chris Anderson, welcome in. You didn't know I was going to bob or weed there. You weren't ready for the zig or the zag. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was about to get dumped on or lifted up or where you're going. But thanks, I guess. I'll be good cop right now, but that makes you the bad cop. Uh-huh. But also the strength, too. See, I'm already turning the tables on you. There we go. We've looked at the roster and we've looked at sides of the ball, even all three sides of the ball. If you want to turn back the clock a little bit. Not sure anybody wants to turn back the clock right now, the way things have been going. Time to move ahead and to do so, try to assess what West Virginia has going for it and maybe what is an additional obstacle standing in the way of, well, at the very least qualifying for a bowl, but making tangible progress here. We both know a bunch went wrong last year. Some of it was out of the control of the team and the roster. Some of it was the result of the team, the coach, and the roster too. But there are certainly good things and bad things that the team did possess and still does possess moving forward. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, put you on the spot here. This is a glass half full, glass half empty kind of thing. Start me off here with a strength or a weakness that you think is something that will play out, not only in the season, but more immediately in this preseason coming up. Well, the biggest strength for me on this team and, and, I, I think I tried to give my super hot take before, and w- what'd you say? You wanted to take my hot take and cut it up and put it in some tea. Uh, it was so cold. Uh, the defensive line is going to be the strongest group on this team. It is going to be the strongest defensive line for West Virginia in a decade. Uh, it is extremely talented in the front end. I think I, you know, everybody was. I can't remember if he was if they even marked the guys as consensus so with so many media members. I doubt they they would. But uh, Darius Stills, preseason defensive player of the year in the Big Twelve, is back. His brother Dante Stills, um, in limited snaps last year, was almost as productive. Uh, earned a second team nod last season. I think he could be even better this year when he gets a starting role. And there's. Just depth among depth, just uh, Pooler, Alston, Jordan Jefferson, and it keeps going from there. And then they added some nice pieces this offseason. So I think, you know, Jordan Leslie has said that he wants to have six, at least six, preferably eight guys that he can rotate around and get in there and keep fresh. I think he's got it. I think he's definitely got six. And of that six, the top four are pretty darn good. Let's um let's go over this for a second because I think you make a great point. And we were projecting about how good this defensive line was going to be before Joseph Bobatelli committed and then vanished. So it's a little bit more fluid, but it's also kind of expecting and projecting a number of things from perhaps a number of young players. But easy to see. Defensive end is going to be Pooler and Alston. Guard, nose guard, going to be Darius Stills, Jordan Jefferson. Defensive tackle, Dante Stills and um, Jalen Thornton. That's pretty good six. You want to get to nine, all right, now you got to backfill a little bit. And how much does Akeem Mesador, how much does Sean Martin, how much does Quay Mays have to play? Well, to get to nine, they have to, but not so much. And I think enough you could justify playing 
Mesador, and certainly Martin as true freshmen. Um, Mays, I think, is fit to play after spending some time, uh, I believe three seasons in junior college, just two years with three seasons. Um, there's a way to get to nine, certainly, but there's also Edward Vesteranen out there. He might be a part of things in 2020. And what do we think about Linnell Carr? He's been meeting with the defensive ends. According to Zooms and context clues that we use from social media, he's listed as a bandit right now. Uh, Eddie Watkins, same thing. Could be a defensive end, could be a linebacker. Right now, he's a bandit. Um, they may have enough that they have too many, but you could also see a situation where they have enough for two good lines. How did they build that third one? Is that any sort of a, a weakness within your strength, or are we just being overly picky about what's still going to be a really good group no matter how they round it out? I think we're being overly picky if we if we, if we we start complaining about the third string defensive line not being experienced because I think in an ideal world for Jordan Leslie, not just for this season, but for the future, you redshirt Martin and Mesador. Uh, maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe you can still get him, you know, d- take advantage of the four game rule, get him in there for four games uh, and get him a little experience. But we mentioned the six uh, that, that seems pretty clear cut that top two, top two deep. And then there's, uh, Quay Mays, who's coming in, like you said, he's already played. He's already gone through three seasons. He has no redshirt left, so there is no option to redshirt him. That would be number seven. You can move some guys in and around. Uh, maybe somebody like uh, Tavis, Tavis Lee, who has grown from an outside linebacker into a pretty hefty and strong-looking defensive end. Uh, I mean, if, if, if he's your eighth guy, that's solid. That's fine. Keep him in there. Get him some reps if you ever need him. How often are you going to get to eight? Uh, I know you know we always hear defensive line coaches say they want to get to eight, nine, uh, but what's the eighth and ninth guy doing? Like you know, five snaps a game maybe. So I think in an ideal world, you're trying to redshirt both Martin and Mesador. Maybe give them their four games just to keep that redshirt. Pick one, Martin or Mesador. Who does not redshirt if you had to make that call? Uh, probably Mesador. I think Mesador is maybe a little more ready right now. Martin is, if you ask me who I could have for just 2020, the answer for me is pretty clearly Mesador. If you ask me who I can have in year 2022 and 2023, my answer is very clearly Sean Martin. I think he is a, a, a specimen. Uh, his body is ideal for somebody that can grow into a very good defensive end or even, uh, you know, I mentioned it, on the board uh, the other day that if I had just seen him in person and not known anything about him or what position he played, I would have fallen in love with the idea of growing him into an offensive tackle because uh, he is a very legitimate 6'5", 6'6". He's got a great frame, extremely long arms. Uh, again, he's just somebody that you look at and you say, man, I could make an NFL defensive end or offense or offensive tackle out of him. Uh, lightning round for you. You ready? Yep. I'm going to give you a name, and you tell me what, what position they end up at. Okay. Mesador. Defensive tackle. Martin. Defensive end. Maze. Nose, ta- nose guard, nose tackle. And then you mentioned him. Third season, zero snaps so far. Tavis Lee. Looks the part somewhere. Uh, defensive end. I say I'd almost. I, I mean, he's almost too big for a bandit. I think, but 
I'd consider him for either of those two spots. 6'2", 258, but if you watch him walk around the field, uh, it looks like that he should be playing somewhere. You know, Give him a helmet and put him in a three-point stance and he can go. Uh, my turn. Strength and weakness. This will shock many people. I'm going to go with the weakness. <laughs> because I can't, get, I can't get around this. And again, a lot of this just isn't their fault, and it's what they have to deal with. Um, some of it everybody has to deal with, and some of it is unique to West Virginia. But it's hard for me right now to say that the coaching continuity is in a very great spot. Not just because of the shuffling on defense, but that's very late in the game to be doing something dramatic. You're bringing a guy off the analyst staff who wasn't even here five months ago, um, Jeff Castile. You're splitting up the defensive duties in a co-coordinator without the name thing. Listen, I understand it's probably the best you can do in the situation. You can't go out and hire someone now. I get that. I understand that. It doesn't mean it's the best situation for you. It's the best situation that you can achieve right now. It doesn't mean it's the best overall. It's hard for me to figure out how they're going to reconcile things about calling plays, coming up with game plans. Um, ideally, these five guys can work together and make it you know, function and fly like they're supposed to. But when you lose your defensive coordinator and everything that he's done and for a year plus now, and you replace it, even if it's his underling and someone he's worked with for a long time, it's just going to be different. And that guy or those two guys are going to have to stumble a little bit. They're going to step forward. They're going to step back. They're going to bump their nose, toes on some things, but that's inevitable. And this isn't the best time to do that. Um, and you hit the field really soon on stuff. I think a lot of the preseason is obviously for players. There's no way that's not for the coaches this year. They're going to have to figure out things about signaling, calling plays, who's in the box, who's in the field. They're going to work out stuff just like players are going to work out stuff. Offensively, not as dramatic, but you do have a new offensive coordinator who had two practices. And really, when you think about what those first two spring practices are, it's nothing. You know, you're not getting into stuff. You haven't really had uh, days of work, weeks of work to sit down and to process and figure out what you do subsequent to what you witnessed. Um, not West Virginia's fault. Really, neither one of these is West Virginia's fault. Just the reality is that you like to be taking bigger steps, smoother steps into your second season. And I just wonder about how how bumpy it's going to be. And my hunch is it won't be bumpy because Brown and I think his relationship with Parker and I think the goal and the personalities on defense are going to be smart enough to alleviate the places where it might get bumpy. And you just give people responsibilities and rights that are going to be um, producing less or the least resistance. How they get there, I don't know. It's going to take some time, but I know it's a negative and I know it's something that is probably unfair to put on them, but it's a reality too. They just haven't had the best runway to the season for how they're going to coach, which is correct. If I'm wrong, a pretty important port, a pretty important part of college football, right? Yeah, I'd be far more concerned about the defensive side than the offensive uh, because, like you mentioned, Parker and Brown, they seem to mesh well. Parker was Brown's number one option the first time around for that receiver spot. Um, and, and and as far as I know, Brown's still going to be doing the play calling. So I, I think that's not an issue for me, that side of the ball. But on the other side, I'm really concerned, like you mentioned, right there in the middle. Uh, Leslie's still there and he's supposed to handle the front and a die's still there. He's supposed to have, uh, handle the back end. Um, and then in the middle, you got two new coaches and the two guys that are splitting duties about what to handle. Now, I believe that that would fall on Leslie for the linebackers, but that's not a spot that Leslie's been, been working with much. So 
I would be very concerned about the linebacker spot. Like you said, two new coaches, new quote unquote co-coordinators that are not co-coordinators and maybe guys changing positions might have guys like Cowan moving to Mike might have Chandler. Chandler was a will at times last year. Then he was a Mike to end the year and Tonker removed and everything else. So I, I would be very concerned about the linebacker spot. Tell me why it's not a weakness though. I think you can make an argument. Like you just said, Hey, you know what? Brown got his guy in Parker and Boy, Jeff Castillo is no rookie. He's going to make this work, and his personality probably aligns to the situation. You'd love to do this. Tell me why I'm wrong, and that this either isn't a weakness or it's not nearly the mountain that I made it out to be. You you can look at it a million different ways. The ones I just mentioned, that was all the negative view. That was the glass half empty side. The glass half full side is maybe Cowan's back and healthy. Tonkery has been there for a while, has played. Chandler was kind of a stud last year. Bartlett really came on at the end, and he's a freak athlete. That's You only have three linebacker positions, and there's four guys right there that could help fill those spots. x Low also experienced and can fill in when needed, um, so you're looking good there. Uh, like you mentioned, Koning's gone, and Castillo gets bumped from analyst into outside linebackers coach, and uh, Hello, he's, he's been coaching for years. He's been a linebacker's coach, a safety's coach, a defensive coordinator at the highest level of college football. He is not a slouch. He is going to step right in and be just fine. And Jeff Koontz is a highly coveted linebacker's coach as well. He, he's not some guy that, you know, was a third or fourth or fifth choice for the position. He is a very good coach for that spot. So I think they will work well together. I think the talent can be there if they can figure out the spots. Um, there's just a few more things to juggle and and try to get into place before the season. And as you mentioned, that this was not the best off season for that to to try to figure things out and juggle things and move pieces around and break in new coaches and players at new spots. I don't want to break the fourth wall here, but we have to do this because this is important. This part of the conversation as we're recording, um, we're doing this days in advance. But the NCAA has granted teams the right to move. Every, every game they want, everybody who wants to can move their first game or they can play in week zero, which is August 29. Why is that important? Um, you start a week earlier in the season. You start a week earlier in the preseason. So West Virginia's first game is supposed to be September 5th. That may or may not happen. Who knows? But they may also try to acquiesce here and play on August 29th. There are ways to make that happen. If you play September 5th, your first practice is August 7th. If you play August 29th, your first practice is a week earlier. And that would mean you have one less week in these summer activities periods. You have one less week of meetings among coaches, teammates, players to work this out. And if all of a sudden you're playing earlier, you're not only accelerating the start of the season, you're accelerating and and shortening by default the amount of prep time you have, not only to get your team ready, but to get your coaching staff ready too. So, um, this may get crunched. By the time you listen to this, West Virginia may have an August 29th game, which means that they've been on the field already, and this whole preview thing is kind of screwed up because it started later than normal. Whoops. But that's kind of the volatile nature of all this, too. Even in a normal situation, as close to normal as you can get right now, it would be difficult just because of so many things going on. But because this is so volatile, you may be dealing with changing timelines and even less of a runway that you want. Um, I think there are ways to make it work. I think the offense was so fractured last year that Everybody has to say, you know what? It was broke. Let's fix it. 
So there goes that axiom. If any broke, don't fix it. So, hey, fall in line with Parker and with Brown's guidance and do your job, and it might be better. I think the personalities on defense can align and make it work. Just everything you said about Castile and Koontz doesn't make me too worried about linebacker. Um, I think it may be something where three months from now you look at Mike and you say, dummy, what were you thinking? So, hold on. I think you just slipped in there. You're not going on vacation anymore because now practice is going to move <laughs> up a week. So, no vacation for Mike. That's that's unfortunate, man. I, I'm Boss. sorry to hear that. <laughs> Boss. Yeah. Um uh, I love, I, I mean, I, I, we've been pushing the everybody needs flexibility this season because there are going to become times, and we've seen it, we just saw it in Major League Baseball this week. Um, there are going to be, hopefully, small outbreaks, uh, hopefully small, not the hopefully outbreak part, but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully small portions of outbreaks for, for certain teams, and there may be, come a time where they need to delay games move games swap them around so we we've been discussing that on this podcast of maybe a 10 or 11 game season and try to do it in 14 or 15 weeks so opening up week zero gives them that extra flexibility to do that uh moving eastern kentucky for instance from september 12th up to august 29th kind of a warm-up game before you go to Atlanta, hopefully, to play Florida State or UVA. That'd be nice. I mean, it leaves a, a gap of two weeks before Kansas State. But then again, maybe you move um, the final game of the year. I can't remember the off the top of my head, but you move that game up into one of those two weekends to to because uh, I believe that's the one that's after Thanksgiving. And since Everybody's been trying to push like for school to end things at Thanksgiving before we get into flu season, before we get into the winter. So um, maybe that's something you do there. And, and I, you know, hey, every once in a while, some of these guys at the NCAA get something right. And this this might be one of them. West Virginia plays that last game against Iowa State. Um, could they move that one up? That would be difficult. I believe Iowa State has a game when West Virginia does not. Um, possibility, I guess. But I think West Virginia's only other bye week during the season is week nine. Um, and then if memory serves, Iowa State plays a Thursday night game that week, so they couldn't do that. They don't have a mutual one year. No, they got nine twelve. If, if West Virginia moves Eastern Kentucky, that opens up September 12th, and then that is Iowa State's open weekend currently. Incorrect. What? They have signed a game of Ball State to replace oh. Iowa. Oh. Now, it's also possible the Big 12 could completely rearrange the conference games, too. I'll be darned. Google lied to me, Mike. Oh. Can you believe that? Weakness. Google. <laughs> get, up, get up to date, Google. All right. That so doesn't strength, work, then. Strength and weakness here um, is our research ability and our ad-lib <laughs> ability here. Um to get this back onto the field, um, you went strength, I went weakness. Do you have it within you to go weakness, or do you have more strengths to highlight? Well, I was with you on linebacker. Um, the, the, the two others, uh, I'll stick with one to try not to be too negative. And I won't go cornerback, although that is one. I, I would put it third behind linebacker. And this spot, offensive tackle. Um, offensive line struggled last year and the only two real bright spots for it were 
the tackle spots in McKivitz and Wickline. And both of those guys are gone. Both of those guys, their eligibility was up. Mm-hmm. Um, and currently, I believe there is not a single player on the roster who played a meaningful snap at tackle last year, except maybe John Hughes. I know, you know, obviously he played, he started one game. Um, he bounced between guard and tackle and he might be the front runner for that right tackle spot this year, but who's your blindside tackle? Who's protecting the blindside? Who's the left tackle? We don't know. There's literally no one else on the roster that has played a meaningful snap at tackle. So you're going to be sticking someone there who has never done it before. Um, West Virginia, the coaches realize this. So I'm not saying something that's, that's out of this world. They realize this. They pushed hard to find a transfer. They were pushing hard to get a transfer back in December, um, hosting players on visits, didn't work out with a couple guys. One, uh, what was his name? Chris, Chris Blake, Chris Blake from, mm-hmm. from Florida. Uh, they ended up finding out that it, he had a, a hip injury that might keep him out this year anyway. So I think he ended up at Syracuse and they tried out Keldrick Wilson from Hampton. He ended up committing to Pitt uh, and looked at a, a multitude of other guys, both on the regular transfer market, junior college transfer market, trying to find someone that could help immediately. So they identified this spot as a huge weakness, tried to find somebody to help right away. And for as much success as they've had everywhere else in recruiting and transfers and everything else, this is that was not one of them. And, and that's why it's still a huge issue for this fall. The the competition for that grad transfer offensive lineman is it's got to be like yeah compare compare that to like your top five players in the country like in the in the traditional recruiting class it's got to be akin to that because there's so few that are worth it and that would you know be the final piece to your puzzle um, is that the final piece to West Virginia's puzzle no that's probably one thing that really hurt this year but it's amazing the lengths they went to and, and still um, could not figure it out and ended up with somebody but probably not someone who's going to help too so. Uh, hard to disagree with any of that. In fact, I won't even try. Uh, I'll go with the strength. You ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do I do think the strength is that there, there's a going to be a uniform mess, let's say, because you're just not going to be able to prepare as much. You're not going to tackle much. You're not going to have as much time to install schemes and coverages and stuff like that. And I think that West Virginia has a number of, um, let, let's say, like ball-in-hand guys that are just dangerous, potentially game-breakers. And when you think about what the offense lacked last year. Um, I think Matt Moore called them erasers guys who could just do something that they weren't instructed to do. It's not in the playbook, but they erased the mistake just because they had twitch, they had speed. And, you know, if you look in the backfield, a guy that we've, I have at least thought highly of for a while, Alex Sinkfield can really run, can really make people miss. I think people don't yet know how good Tony Mathis is. His high school career is exceptional. Uh, he kept Kobe Pryor on the bench. Kobe Pryor signed with Clemson, who was the top running back in the class. And then, more importantly, the receiver position, West Virginia likes to run a lot of short stuff. I think that you could look at guys like Winston Wright, like Sam James, like Sam Brown, and say, boy, if the defense is going to be lousy at tackling this year, or at least not as good as they could be, there's a chance for them to just have some game-breaking plays and some with some game-breaking players. Similarly, too, those guys can run past you. They can, you know, stick their foot in the ground, go up the rail, stick their hand up, and run past the cornerback and the safety. I think there's a chance for the offense to open up a little bit just because they do have a good collection of talent and speed. And even the younger guys, even a guy like a Sam Brown, um, even a guy like perhaps an Avery Sparrow, 
they don't quite yet know the techniques, the fundamentals, the angles, the schemes of college football. But I know how to run. I know how to make sure that guy doesn't pop me and knock me out of the game. I know how to make guys miss. Like, what's to say that they can't catch a little bit of lightning every now and then? Haven't even mentioned Reese Smith, who seems like he has a good head on his shoulders, too. And then defensively, can you project that on the other side of the ball? I don't know. Um, because, again, if I'm saying that defenses aren't going to be great and that's going to be to the benefit of the offense, it's hard for me to say, wow, David Vincent O'Coley is going to benefit from the chaos on offense. I don't know if that's necessarily the same. But, again, if you're just going on talent and you're going to have to play to some degree some number of guys who just don't quite know yet, O'Coley's good enough to make it count. And then, you know, where was West Virginia hurting last year on offense, on defense? Never really had a wrecking ball. Never really had that havoc generator at the bandit spot. Well, when you look at the roster right now, three guys are bandits. Do you know who the three bandits are, Chris? Oh, you told me right before we got on here. All the freshmen. Yeah, Linnell Carr, Torres Simmons, Eddie Watkins. Now, that does not mean that Jared Bartlett or Vandarius Cowan or Charlie Benton aren't going to end up at Bennett. In fact, I think that they're all probably, or she aren't all going to end up at Bennett. Bandit. In fact, I think all three of them are there right now. But if you're trying to get a freshman on the field because he's fast, he's strong, he can bend around the corner, he's just good at one thing, rushing the passer, Bandit can do that. And if offensive lines aren't going to have the reps, if the pass protection is not going to be as advanced, as complex, as effective in the past, and you got guys who can lean and bend and run and just know how to rush the quarterback, I think we all agree, Watkins especially, Simmons to some extent, and Carr as well, are guys who may be able to fit that bill. Time will tell the next couple of weeks, but if those guys, one or two or three of them, have a knack, and they're just going to specialize in rushing the passer and learning a little bit more about how to play bandit just so they're not like sore thumbs or obviously guys who just do one thing and you can pick on them with screen passes or you chop them or whatever. Um, if they can play and they only have to learn a little bit to get on the field, that's huge. And I think that the collection of young players, whether it's freshmen or just young talents, there's a chance that that can open up things on offense especially, but also on defense. So can I end it with something very much related to the first half? of what you just talked about there. Mm -hmm. Talking about the playmakers, the guys that can just get a ball in space and just and just make a play. And you mentioned Winston Wright, Sam James. You know what else Winston Wright and Sam James do, aside from play wide receiver? Special teams. Special teams. And this year, with all this talk that, that we've been having about first-teamers working with third-teamers, second-teamers working with fourth-teamers, guys trying not to intermingle and, and you know, just in case there's an outbreak – what are your special teams going to look like? Like, because typically that's a mix of first teamers, second teamers, third teamers. Are, are teams going to be going? I, I have this feeling that teams are going to be basically going almost entirely with third and fourth stringers and walk ons for special teams, like outside of the kicker, punter, and the return man. And so if you can have those kind of special talents, the guys that can make the big plays, that can get out in space and just go, the ones like you mentioned, Winston Wright, Sam James, et cetera, then you can have an advantage. I mean, you always have an advantage, but maybe more so this year than any other year because I think special teams play this year, special teams tackling this year is going to be horrid because you just can't practice it that much. No. Well, you don't practice it much anyways. Right. I think every coach will tell you the one thing they're scared to death about in the two or three nights before their first game is special teams. Never mind punting or kicking, but can you tackle guys? Can you block and not get your return men drilled? And, and Are you going to hold on to the ball? Because it's different getting hit during a return 
than it is during a handoff or a reception. It just is. Um, Cause sometimes you don't see the guy coming frequently. You don't see the guy coming um, and you're following different blocking and, you know, punt returns are ad lib by and large. So how do you practice ad lib? You don't, and everything you talked about, you know, working ones and threes and twos and fours, I, I, you may be able to get toward some combination for a punt return team or a kickoff return team. Like your kickoff return team is a mix of safeties and running backs and receivers and linebackers. You might be able to get there from the crew you have in one and two offense versus two and four defense and vice versa. But the reps, the the quality of that team, I don't know. I, I think it's an absolute concern. Um, and I wonder, like, how ambitious teams are. Do they really want to punt? Maybe, maybe not. You'll probably see a lot of punts out of bounds just on purpose. Like, if you have a really good punter this year who can get it out of bounds and not sacrifice too much yardage, that's a weapon. Kickers, boy, touchbacks would be great this year if you could do that. Um, so, in some regard, special teams is going to be a detriment because of the tackling and the blocking. In another regard, you know, if you can just – mitigate or even eliminate the returns and the need to block and tackle. Um, that's not a bad thing either, too. Um, I would be remiss if we didn't finish with this, though, if you don't, if you don't mind, Chris. Uh, go for it. A lot of freshmen are going to play this year, I think, we think, whether mm-hmm. four games or more. Um, and Scotty Young, Bryce Brand, Keon Wakefield, Tyler Sumter, They've used transfers pretty well, we think, to plug holes. Not major holes, but, hey, here's a veteran who can play some slot. Hey, here's a punter, so we don't got to use a walk-on or, or a redshirt freshman who's probably our future kicker. Um, brand, walk-on, play linebacker. Um, young, all-conference caliber defensive backs. So some good things. Freshman transfers, a lot of returning players. One of the younger teams, certainly the Big 12, maybe in the country last year. Um, I would say that in some regard, transfer season was friendly to them in their additions, but also in the number of subtractions. They really didn't lose a lot of people who transferred. Um, during the season, yeah, but afterward, no. And a lot of that was probably because of the pandemic. So, again, a good thing out of a bad situation. But I think their roster, their continuity, at least the who goes where, can we get depth here? Who knows how depth will shake out? Who knows who ends up second team, third team? But there are players, the roster's good. I think they've done a good job recruiting and getting transfers and putting things in the right situation. Um, and again, that may surprise people if they hear me say that, but I think overall they've done a pretty good job. All things considered, putting somewhere close to 85 players on scholarship, somewhere close to 125 players on their roster. Um, that's a hard thing to do, especially in a situation, but I think they're actually in a good spot. As good as it could be, no, they don't have the offensive tackle transfer they wanted. Um, they lost Bola Vitelli, but still better than it could and maybe should have been when you look at how weird this offseason was and the fact they won five games last year and probably didn't get everybody super excited to come and join this rocket ship they think they have and how bad of a situation it was scholarship wise number wise just a couple seasons ago i mean we were having discussions like trying to count how many scholarships there were and we were in the 50s 60s we were trying to put together the was it 70 man travel roster and Mm -hmm. It, we were coming up with having, I don't know how legitimate, uh, but somewhat legitimate talks about two long snappers, very legitimate talks about two long snappers, a bunch of walk-ons. Um, at that That's conversations that aren't really happening for some of the best programs in the country. So to see them so quickly and creatively build this roster and get those numbers back up is impressive. Yeah, and freshman playing who are, are good players, too, like Acoli, uh Brown, Favoris, 
Reese Smith. Those are those are guys who probably deserve to play too. It's not because they need; it's because they want to play them. I think there's a difference there, and that's a good sign. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. good, good sign would be the red light here flashing in the studio. Yes. Uh, we will uh, hopefully nothing else breaks during these next uh, couple of these we put together, but a few more up our sleeve, Chris, to preview the the season coming up. Um, even though it may be changing before uh, you hear this or even after you hear this. That's kind of the choppy waters that we navigate right now, but we can figure that out as we go along and we will wait to address more changes until next time. And until that time arrives for earsports.com. I am Mike Sazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you later.